0: Hello, I'm Claire Southworth. This is Talking Flutes. Now today's topic is a really interesting one which many players are confused about. Projection, resonance and dynamics. But Don't Worry helps on hand with my fellow collaborator today, the wonderful Liz Walker. Hello, Liz. Hello, Claire. So we're talking about some of the key areas of flute playing. So we've got our work cut out, I think. I think we have. Indeed, we have. Do you want to kick
1: off? Uh, Why not? Uh, I was thinking about projection and dynamics because in my world, which is slightly baroque, we have a huge problem, of course, uh, with projection in a way, because we have all sorts of difficulties uh, with some of the notes that are, are particularly soft. They're what we call the forked notes. And because of those forked notes, we have to project using a lot of our resonances, which of course we do on modern flute too. I do a flutes online club with Sarah Murphy and we had a singer in as our little guest for the last hour. And it's always intrigued me, Claire, that a human can stand on a stage and sing out in to the Royal Festival Hall or in the Coliseum for EO and use their voices, their human voices, just to fill that space. I'm absolutely always been just fascinated on on how they do that, these mere mortals. And so, yeah, it all sort of just all all resonated with me, if you like, (laughs) on how how do we do that? How do we project into these ever uh, increasingly larger, larger and larger concert halls? I mean, in our baroque world, we were playing to the king in his in his bedroom. No problem there. Now I've got, you know, a couple of Matthew Passions coming up this, this Easter, and I'll look out into these vast cavernous concert
0: halls and go, ah! It's tricky, isn't it? Maybe we should start by what we're talking about with resonance. I mean, I think of it as being the fullness of our sound and that we use our bodies to help create resonance and fullness and it means that no matter what you're playing we can project the sound that we want to project when you go to flute conventions you hear all these concerts and different flute players and some flute players really project and yet but they're not playing loud so it's not about loud it's about the resonance of the sound so yeah. It, you don't. I don't think any of our any player should worry about trying to get bigger sounds. They should worry about trying to get a more resonant, more rounded sound.
1: Exactly, and I think there is a real definition there because you can project a piano. I mean, we have to do that in the orchestra, don't we? There are plenty of solos mm. uh, where it's written pianissimo, uh, and yet it's in an orchestra, uh, so you can't play the same pianissimo. Uh, that you might in, in in your own room. And projecting the sound isn't particularly about, we're not talking about louds and softs here because dynamics are a, a, are a topic in sort of on top of resonance. And I think we do need to, to distinguish the difference between that. So I think you're absolutely right when we talk about projection, we're talking about using our bodies and also using our imaginations. I think when we all came out of teaching online, We noticed a difference that students were stopping projecting because they only needed to play to the screen, which was right in front of their nose. And when you get into a a larger space, you have to actually resonate all the way out into that space. Um, And that's, um, it's a projection of, of, of yourself, isn't it really into that space using your imagination, but also finding those resonances. And I think resonance, where does it come from? Where does it come from, Claire?
0: Throat, probably? Mouth, body, your lungs, your sinuses, and, and the instrument, of course.
1: The instruments, of course. Your
0: core, your core strength. I'm thinking, it was just thinking about, you're saying that, you know, when during COVID, when we were sort of all all locked down, it reminds me of when we, I used to practice a lot in a very dead room, it was at college, actually, there was a, it, the, all the rooms were very heavily soundproofed. And so what you tended to do was force to get sound, which then meant the technique was completely wrong. And so you had to learn that sort of less was more and more was less and not to, to force it. I mean, certainly when I was at college, it, it seemed that the emphasis was on bigger sounds, not beautiful sounds, just big sounds. And so we all tried a little bit too hard. It's a case of making sure that we don't get tense in order to create the sound because tension stops the resonance. So releasing tension aids resonance.
1: I would say the word try harder or the the phrase try harder is the biggest and fastest way to squash any resonance, (laughs) which is easy to say and hard to do. But I think, yeah, exactly. As soon as you try, Hmm. uh, that... Effort will shut any resonance down. So keeping soft, keeping the throat open, that sort of idea of, of yawning, of being totally relaxed in order to project and to, to feel, I think, the distance. When I was talking to this lovely singer on our online group, he talked about an acting skill that he'd been uh, working on in, in a, with an opera company of sending out the strings to each of the corners of the room. And for him, you know, that that meant the stalls and the amphitheatre right up to the furthest corner. And I loved that. And we we explored that a little bit with my students at Wales Cathedral, who happened to be doing a concert in the cathedral. And I said to them, you know, you have to encompass the whole building. You can't play just to the front row. But I think that works in every context that you don't play to the front row. You you. You encompass the front row, but you've also got to reach out to the back row. And I don't think there's any harm when you're practicing. I remember my junior college days. I used to, they used to um, have some teaching rooms under the road at Royal College of Music, and I went down there at you know a tender age, and my flute teacher used to talk about playing up and over the top of the Albert Hall, and and you, you know you could really. Envisage that through, through this road, and 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 trying to get your sound out to those corners. I've put the word "try" in there again, which I
0: don't like. But what you're talking about is imagery, and imagery is so important in so in so many things that we do in terms of performance. And if when you're practicing, you can, like you're just saying, you can imagine that you're projecting your sound somewhere else, even if it's just into the garden or up the stairs or just something, imagine something where your your sound is traveling. I used to like the thought of playing by a river where you felt that the sound was taken away from you. So you're not trying, you're just letting it happen. I mean, the skill of, of creating resonance requires so much flexibility. It's the ability to change the shape of your mouth and the, the shape and the direction of the airstream and totally dependent on your ears as well, which we haven't mentioned yet. And I'm just sort of trying to think of developing this fullness of sound. There's a lovely exercise I used to do, which was to to help you feel the sound change, where if you, first of all, you were to sing a low A, and then you put your flute up and sing the A again over the mouthpiece whilst fingering the note A, Mm -hmm. and you... You feel there's a change. So you sing the A, you put your flute up, finger the A, you sing again over the mouthpiece, and there's a change. that The flute starts to resonate. Now, if you repeat that again, and as you're singing the A with your flute up, fingering it, if you then play a G, the resonance goes. Yeah. It's, it's an incredible thing to try. That As soon as you've changed the fingering on the flute, there's a dullness that comes in. Uh-huh. So it's to do with your throat and your mouth and imagining that sound. So singing before you play is hugely important to help you create part of that resonance as well. That's fascinating.
1: I want to go and grab my flute right now, Claire. Thank you for that.
0: I remember doing it in in masterclasses and, and people would go, oh, wow. wow. Yeah. Because you, can, you can hear it and that brings your ears in so that you not only feel it, but you you hear it as well singing
1: so if, is is such a helpful tip anyway isn't it for for phrasing but definitely for find, finding the resonances
0: yes i, I always remember uh, robert dick's exercises of of throat tuning oh there's, yes there's that for every note there's a position for your throat like if you're singing i mean if you start even in, in if the next time is, the next time you're play you're practicing playing if you just sing maybe an arpeggio, a simple arpeggio, and put your hand on your throat and feel the movement as you sing the arpeggio, and then play it and try and imagine the same and see if it helps, there's definitely a connection.
1: There's definitely a connection. And any of my flute students who dare say to me that they can't sing,
0: ooh. <laughs>
1: That's a start again, let's start the lesson from the beginning (laughs) and get some singing going because we're all singers. I've yet to meet a professional flute player who doesn't sing Absolutely beautifully. And of course we sing well, because it's so similar, the, the, the resonances, the throat, the pitching. I mean, when you start a piece, you, you have to pitch that note as if you're about to sing it. And yeah. it helps so much if you have that, that note in your head. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if you haven't got perfect pitch, that's not a problem, but just knowing whether it's a high note, a low note, it's gonna resonate in
0: a high tessiture or a low one. We are all singers for sure. Absolutely. And the thing is, a lot of us are very embarrassed at first, and you've got to get rid of that embarrassment and just project it. And the thing is, when you change the sounds in your voice, that's the same technique that we use on the flute. Exactly. You know, singing singing different vowel sounds. You know, it's the same on the flute. exactly the same. So the different shapes create different sounds, and then you do exactly the same when you're with your flute. Yeah, and
1: there, there there is our answer to resonance, but if we move on to dynamics, I mean it's very, very interesting that if I talk to anyone really, that it's 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 the loud playing that seems to impress flute players more than the quiet playing. And I'm not quite sure when that came into our world, except I do know obviously that the invention from going into Baroque into modern flute was was the was the inventor himself trying to expand the dynamics of the flute. Mm. So we have always had this this desire to play loudly, um, but loud isn't always beautiful. It can be sometimes very over-focused and quite sort of hard to, to listen to. I have been to recitals with my husband who is not a flute player. And he said, do you actually like that sound? <laughs> and it's a really good question, because our desire should be, as as Tafanil says, a sweet tone. He writes of his purchase of his first Louis Lot flute, as it happens, he was searching for a sweet tone, very resonant and sonorous, and retaining more of the qualities of the wooden flute. That's what he was looking for in his silver flute sound. Uh, he didn't want to lose the, the qualities of, of a wooden flute that can be so expressive. And I think sometimes we have lost sight of that sweet tone in the desire to be the one that plays the loudest.
0: Yes, and and often those people who are playing the loudest have no differential; it's just loud and without contrast. So they play in monochrome rather than, you know, multicolored. It's is interesting, isn't
1: it? Because I think if I go to a concert and it doesn't matter whether I'm listening to a a piano, a violin, or a singer. It's the contrasts that you come, come away with because that's what, what resonates for you. If, if everything's full on loud, it's like, you know, not seeing colors anymore.
0: Everything's black or white. Yeah, especially those wonderful pianissimos, bring your audience to you. It's a bit like the, sometimes the best teachers in, in classes, schoolroom teaching, are the ones that never raise their voices. But they have some sort of intensity and directness just by talking quite quietly, never having to raise their voice. And if you, in playing, when you play something that's really quiet, you're almost demanding something of your audience to to go there with you, to listen better, harder, yeah, yeah. in order to, to to experience what you're doing. The hard thing, of course, for us is playing a pianissimo that has substance Mm -hmm. rather than emptiness. So it's, you know, making sure the harmonics are in tune. I think we all need to search for our parameters. So, you know, depending on what piece you're playing, you know, what's the loudest I should play in this piece and what's the softest? And as you go with earlier and earlier music, those parameters are getting more narrow, but they're still there. Oh, very much so.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I, 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 it's very interesting, of course, that a lot of Baroque music doesn't have any dynamics written in it. And that doesn't mean that you don't want to play with dynamic colour. It's purely a sort of lack of dictionary, if you like. They didn't have a mezzo piano or a mezzo forty. It hadn't actually been sort of used yet but you know if you don't add those to your playing of early music then it's just as difficult to listen to if it's all just one color but it is difficult i mean i think more of our time if you like dedicated to being able to play in a wide dynamic range introducing different colors and being aware of the the huge change if you like in our in our bodies almost uh, of being able to play really loudly and really quietly it should be something that is um top of our list of warm ups if you like or priorities as as flute players because i think there lies probably the 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 technical challenges but also the huge rewards
0: i always link the colours with the dynamics with the vibrato and the and the emotion. Yes. There are so many variables. It can help you if you if you create some sort of again, back to imagery again, that depending on the piece you're playing and depending on the era in which it was written, that you create an image to fit that. So your mezzo forte might be, yes, moderately loud, but with with a warmth and an energy, whereas your fortissimo might be a little harsher, stronger, making a statement. And your pianismos will be something terribly delicate. So you can imagine scenes or colours or textures. I used to talk a lot about food in terms of, you know, is this a you know really smooth chocolate sauce? Or is it somehow got a little bit more texture, you know, like a, with a peanut salad? I don't know. <laughs> I <laughs> mean, <Yeah>, butter. <laughs> Imagery is so important because it can just help you change something. Yeah. And I think a lot of players stay the same. They think they might be doing something, but they're not. And so you have to do something different in order to create a change. And sometimes you, you do something, you say, well, that doesn't work. That didn't sound so nice. So you try something different. Don't be afraid to experiment and to do something different and just see where it takes you
1: and it is interesting isn't it when you when you record yourself and you, you really genuinely believe that those colors were there and, and that dynamic contrast. Yep. And you Listen back now, obviously things are a little bit compressed. So uh, you can argue that it was all there, but it's just the recording device that didn't pick it up. Yep. Um, but it's certainly worth listening, uh, recording yourself, listening back and just checking that actually that dynamic contrast really came across because, yep in terms of how much you have to change. I mean, coming back to that sort of physical difference, it should feel very different, I think, to producing a really loud note where all the air has just vanished out of you, to to playing a really pianissimo note where you've got so much core strength just to contain that air so that it doesn't spin out too fast. And if you haven't really felt that extraordinary difference, uh, then it's potentially not going to come across.
0: Also, talking about, you know, the parameters anyone might have, most of the time we're sort of at, let's say, 80%. Yeah. 80% forte, 80% of fortissimo, 80% pianissimo, so that we don't go to that point where it distorts I remember something James Galway said some some many years ago as as a it was just like a general comment about the way flute playing was going certainly in, in the UK and he said what's happened to the beauty in the sound mm. where's all the beautiful sounds gone it was just mm. it was sort of loud we're talking about you know 30 30 40 years ago yeah. and it made me stop and think and 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 yes, he was absolutely right. There was this sort of um, emphasis on how loud can you play? Can you play louder than the next person in your class or whatever? Nothing to do with keeping the quality of that sound and moulding it and shaping it and do, just doing something with it. Dynamics, you know, when you see them on the page, they're, they're very one-dimensional. Yes. And it's up to us to change something, to make them, you know, not just one dimensional, but multi-dimensional. So my
1: absolute hate, Claire, of the word cresc on the page. Cresc means nothing to me. I have to see those opening dynamics. It's such a it's such a dry word, otherwise. <laughs> yes, it, is. it doesn't stand out enough. And I, I I think generally the the dynamics don't stand out enough. And I think unless you are a composer yourself or like I, I do a lot of arranging and my lovely publisher uh wonderful winds with mel Orris, she always says to me when you do that crescendo Liz, what exactly which note do you want it to stop on and when you've agonized over exactly which note do i want that crescendo to go to you then get really cross performers play with no crescendo at all you know because you agonize as though over every detail Uh, when you're trying to write it down on the page. And we owe it, if nothing else, uh, to the composers and to the arrangers to actually try and incorporate where they want that phrase to go to or away from, and just to completely ignore it, apart from anything else. it's, It's slightly disrespectful, that's going a bit over the top, but it should bring joy into the music if you at least try and reflect what's on the page, but coming back to the to the beauty of it, I I wonder whether sometimes we do need to remember that we're not just playing to flute players, because I I think coming back to that sort of you know why are we all trying to play out outplay each other with a harder harsher one dimensional fortissimo, you know that might impress a flute player in the audience but what about all of the musicians that we're playing to or lovers of the music? And we sometimes overlook the music in our effort to be these technical,
0: masterful, enormous players. That's such a good point. You know, that there's a lot of flute players you think to impress that you, yes, play loud, you play very fast and the quality quality of the sound and the quality of the music making goes out of the window so we should all be listening to other instrumentalists and singers just so that we can hear how they project and how they communicate the music how they shape it what tools do they they use to to shape so you know for string players who haven't got the air airstream what are they doing to to show the dynamic and the colors I mean how do they change the sounds on? on their instruments. And then whatever we learn, we try and bring them back into our own flute playing.
1: And I would go even further uh, and suggest that you think about actors and orators. You know, their use of pronunciation, which for us is maybe our articulation, but they, you know, they use every inch of their pronunciation and their, their facial expressions. Everything is out there to get that excitement to get that message to get that drama across and we can use the same techniques i remember sitting in in a baroque orchestra i won't mention the director's name but he was very demanding and we were right down on some nasty fault notes of fs and and a flats and and it was really hard to get this this projection across right down there and and normally the choir singing so you know we don't worry too much but in this rehearsal he wanted to hear this and he was like you know flutes we need to really 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 hear that and my colleagues just said just whispered across to me spit it out dear spit it out <laughs> and we were both spitting it out just like you you see orators don't you sort of spitting yep. out their words and
0: uh, that seemed to satisfy so <laughs> as you were talking a few minutes ago i was i was you have reminded me of of a, of an exercise and i couldn't remember the name of it so i've just been going through my book mesa di voce ah where you it's which is where you play play a note piano and then crescendo through it and then diminuendo away from it just on yeah. the one note which is also a fabulous exercise for controlling where you're going and keeping keeping the pitch the same pitch yes
1: because i think we're often very frightened i know i am myself of that sort of exaggerated opening of the sound that ends up with the pitch going up and i think we we are right to be concerned about that but doing those sorts of exercises where you don't need to necessarily i mean wouldn't it be wonderful to always have a pianist sitting with us uh, but we don't have that luxury. But I think you can you can really hold on to a pitch if you're using that exercise and really make sure that as you expand and open up the sound and the resonances, you're not shifting into a
0: slightly higher key. Maybe if – I mean, a lot of people have electric keyboards these days. Yes. But if you were to play a chord on an on electric keyboard with the sustain on – and then pick a note of that chord and do just that exercise to start piano, coming to, to mezzo forte or forte, back to piano. You can pick the dynamic. And then it aids that listening to see whether you're staying in the same pitch.
1: I think that's an invaluable exercise. And, of course, also you've got these fixed tuning machines I use all the time, actually, just, just to fix a note. And then you can tune your thirds and your fifths and your octaves and maybe use broken arpeggios doing that exact crescendo decrescendo exercise just against a a fixed pitch that should help hugely with the confidence because I think you want the confidence don't you on the day to be able to crescendo and decrescendo and not lose that pitch
0: yeah what we haven't mentioned is if your setup isn't right or if you're not blowing in the right place the resonance won't come because your harmonics are out of tune if your harmonics are out of tune There's there's no resonance. So exercises for that would be bending notes, literally moving the airstream up and down, using your jaw to to move the airstream and stopping where it feels in tune. And it's very easy to blow sharp without realising it. Yeah. Or to blow flat, to cover too much or uncover too much. And everyone has to just experiment themselves. You know, I talked about that earlier on. To, to see what they're doing with where they're blowing and where the head joint is. And if the cork's in the right place. There are lots of things to check, aren't there?
1: There are too many things possibly. And of course, a lot of tension is sometimes held in our, in our embouchures, in our lips, uh, which stops them from moving. And I think it's really important. I, you mentioned it earlier, Claire, there's sort of the, the concept of flexibility we need to have flexibility and to have flexibility, we've got to be quite open and relaxed. So wiggling the jaw around, wiggling the lips around, making the face whole, you know, the whole face move. (laughs) I do remember though, very early mornings, we would be traveling with my flute quartet, festive flutes from Guildhall days. And we'd not have time to warm up. It would be seven in the morning and we'd sit on these tube trains making these silly faces. But it really does help to get the face moving and, and to find where everything is. And and so many days we wake up, don't we, and we might have a bit of a cold, or or you've eaten something that makes your your lips just feel not quite in the right place. I'm sure we all know what we're talking about with that. You have to get things moving and keep them flexible because certainly, you know, if you get start to get a bit tense before a performance, for example, they're the, all the things that need to stay relaxed, stay loose. You know, we've talked about not being able to project the sound if if we've got tension in our throat, and and all of these things just need to, if as much as possible, be kept in our mind to to so that on the day, on the performance day, we've got that palette of colours and that huge variety in our sound and dynamic control, which all really comes down to flexibility in that moment and, and, and the confidence to be able to keep shifting things
0: and to be experimenting. So relaxed flexibility and the all the sort of the, the fine detail we need in our performances will only come if we are relaxed and we have practiced the flexibility. It's all so important. So let's so have a quick um, recap. I mean, you know, we could talk for, for hours about, about all these things, but if we do a, a, just a quick recap. So we're talking about to play in as relaxed a state as possible, not totally relaxed because we'd fall over, because tension aids our resonance. And the skill of resonance requires us to be flexible, which we'll get when we're relaxed. Yeah. And we need to experiment a lot more with finding the fullness of sound by experimenting with the shapes of the shape of your mouth and using your whole body as well as your flute as the resonator and to try different exercises to try and find that resonance yeah and
1: to keep the the creative spirit to keep aware that actually we're looking for beauty in our projections Uh, it's not just about how loudly we can play.
0: No, and you know, once somebody starts to use dynamics, the music comes alive. Definitely. And I think we we can all you know when when you go to a a, a concert, you know, ask yourself some questions. I always just say, you know, do you feel you've been moved? You know, moved to tears because it's so beautiful. Moved to to laugh because it's 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 meant to make you smile. And you know, you know, you you hear the beauty moved you out of the hall because it's so bad Um, (laughs) and and what's you what's you hearing are you hearing a piece in technicolor Mm -hmm. are you hearing uh, can you create images from what you're hearing or does it all sound the same and if you heard a whole recital with all different pieces from different eras do they sound different Uh, does the style change does the the method of, of that of playing change according to Whatever piece you're playing, and if you can't get to a concert, then listen to recordings listen to listen to Liz here playing her baroque flute, and then listen to someone playing maybe a classical flute, same thing with Liz, and then something more contemporary. Ask yourself, okay, what are the differences what are the, what What changes and then use that to help you in your practice
1: and trust yourself. trust yourself to play really quietly. And really loudly. I think go, let's go that hundred extra hundred percent, Claire, this week, and not stop at eighty <laughs> percent.
0: Yeah, if it's if that's what the music demands. But if if every forte you see is your hundred percent, then you've got nothing for fortissimo, or nothing with the composers put you know aggressively or strongly or with great force, whatever it might be. You've got to save that little bit for that that particular moment. So there's a lot there for everyone to think about, Liz. Thank you so much.
1: And I'm going to go and sing and blow into my flute at the same time. Thank you for that
0: one. That's brilliant. Many thanks. And thanks to our listeners. We hope we've um, sort of given you some food for thought. And if you have any questions, do write into us. FlutePodcast at gmail.com. Or you can message us on our designated Facebook page. Uh, called Talking Flutes or on Twitter and Instagram at flute or at Claire Flute. So many thanks for listening. Thanks, Liz. And we'll talk again soon. Great. Goodbye. Bye.